Welcome to the Hero's Journey Economies podcast. Today, our guest is Leon Nicholas. He's the Vice President of Retail Insights and Solutions at WestRock. And Leon's worked in the retail and consumer goods industry for over 26 years. You may know him from NPR or other media channels. When something happens in the retail or consumer packaged goods industry, many people reach out to Leon to get a perspective. Leon has the ability to see emerging trends long before other people do. And I'm really excited to talk to him about emerging trends within consumer behavior that he's seeing now and where he thinks it's going. So I'm really excited to have him on the show today. Hey, Leon, welcome to the podcast. Really appreciate you coming on. Let's just jump right into it. You've been watching this industry for years now. What are you seeing out there from a consumer behavior standpoint that is interesting or think maybe something that people aren't really talking a lot about? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, you know, I, I'm seeing a number of things right now, and uh, I'll just uh, list them out to you and give you some sense of, of what those are. Maybe, you know, based upon that, um, you can decide ones that you might want to talk about more deeply. Yeah. Um, I think that the, the first thing I would say from a consumer behavior is, is we're seeing uh, consumers today um, really less likely to identify with something that is uh, bigger, um, maybe uh, amorphous, uh, even mass-oriented than had been in the past. I mean, you and I remember growing up, uh, gosh, uh, you know, everybody wanted to, you know, wear the new pair of jeans or figure out, you know, the, who was the most popular singer and, the, you know, and buy their album or, uh, you know, you know, get the, the, latest, uh, the latest fashion kind of thing. Those mass notions, you know, I've really fallen by the wayside. And today, I think shoppers are, are much more likely to want to orient themselves toward uh, something that is differentiated, something that is that puts them into a niche. And as, as Americans in particular, have become much more fragmented um, as, a, as, a, as a consumer base, they are looking at much more consumer choices out there as well, looking for, you know, products and, uh, and retailers um, and, uh, and, and social media sites and things like that that are more reflective of them. Um, and so we're seeing, I'd say, a, a much greater move toward fragmentation in choice um, so that it's very hard today to identify, you know, hey, what's hot out there? What's the hot Christmas toy or, you know, that kind of thing? What's, you know, what's America's pastime? You know, um, very hard to do that. Um, and it requires a lot more precision from those who try to serve consumers today because those mass experience. I think another thing would be that the consumer today is less willing, I think, to say that they're going to trade off. Um, I think the big trade off, frankly, and that people have always made is between convenience and price. Maybe less convenient for me, but I get a better price for it type of thing, or mm. I'll pay a higher price to get more convenience. I'll tell you, Mike, I don't see that anymore at all. I think shoppers, uh, consumers today are, are saying, look, I, I want convenience at a good price. Um, I, I don't think they want to make that trade off at all. You know, I want uh, I want the best prices uh, all the time, uh, and I, I or I want that you know pizza delivered to me in in 30 minutes, and I want it to be at a good price. You know, wherever I am, you know, I, I want to I want to pick up a, a an Uber, you know, at wherever I am, and and have the have the price be um, be competitive, but better than a, better than a taxi cab, um, and I want it to be available, you know, when I you know when I click the button. So this, this idea of convenience expected, convenience assumed, um, yeah. and not having to pay a price for it, um, I think is another, um, another big change. And then I think that I could go on, but I think the third one, the, the, the big one that I would see is that today, cons consumers really seem to be valuing experiences um, much more than they value goods. Um, and we see that um, we see that across retail, in particular, where retailers are expanding their uh, their services, their services offerings uh, out there, um, and certainly you know still investing in in, uh, in brick and mortar, but investing in ways they give people experiences, um, and you know that that expresses itself all the way from you know people want to people want to want to go on a cruise or go to you know go on a trip. Um, versus, you know, buy a car. Um, you know, they they want to engage in something because they they're they're sort of seeing the um, uh, the materiality of physical goods as 
uh, really less important to them. And of course, that dovetails, of course, with, with sustainability, uh, which is another big trend, you know, that people have really embraced today and, and, and see that as a sort of table stakes for, um, for engaging in, with, with commerce. So I think those are the big things that I see uh, really ultimately becomes just much more, um, much more aware um, and much more demanding, I might say, consumer. Let's take each one. The, the mass market or the mass consumption is really interesting. You know, when we were little, and it was probably past our bedtime, but Johnny Carson was on TV at night, and 20 million people nightly would tune into that show. And yeah. those, those are like, you know, that's approaching Super Bowl. No, I guess Super Bowl is much more than that. But that would be the most, like one of his shows on a Tuesday night would be the most watched regular TV show of the year now from a rating standpoint. It, yeah, it's no, just, it's a good uh, point. It just, and it's the fragmentation of just TV alone is, is an example of that, but it's across everything. Just the proliferation of products. It's maybe a combination of proliferation of products plus people not wanting to be part of the herd necessarily and having their own kind of unique purchases to, to align with a, a brand a certain way. That's right. I mean, you know, it used to be that a brand would would have a big launch, you know, a, a, a you know a big splash sort of thing, and it and it would look to get, you know, back in the in the day, you know, you wanted a hundred percent distribution in the market, or you know that kind of thing. And and today, you know, you would argue that's probably not the right approach at all. Um, that you really want to have selective distribution. You want to have you want to hit the right target, um, and and really just generate loyalty from from that you you're looking really to almost aggregate smaller niches of consumers and bring them together in effect in a portfolio if you're selling to them so you know you're not going to have one big brand you're going to have lots of smaller brands that really play themselves out that way um, such that you know the the old the old rules of the game um, and this sends itself to mass media, you know, and mass merchandising and mass distribution is, is that all of those mass assumptions there, and it ultimately stems from a consumer who says, I don't want to be part of something bigger. I want to be identified in my niche. What that requires then is that manufacturers and, and, and retailers and, and media folks, anybody who serves these, this consumer is crystal clear about, you know, whom am I, whom am I going after here? Um, and, and, and what are the unique characteristics of this person? So that this, that this person feels spoken to this person feels, you know, as if they get them, you know, Oh, okay. They, now they, they know me. I'm, they, they, they understand my, uh, lifestyle and my life stage and, and they know why I'm shopping at a particular retailer or buying a particular product. And it's this affinity thing, but it's affinity within a niche, you know, that kind of customization is very different. And it, it, you know, you think about the, the economy has really been built around mass distribution, you know, and scale. And today I think scale still remains important, but it's gotta be agility at scale so that these, so that folks who are servicing this consumer can offer the kind of variety and differentiation amongst their portfolio, such that their capacities have to be able to be agile. And I think that's a, that's a real challenge. That's a, that's a challenge, and you you know you 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 see it in the challenge for you know last mile delivery. You know, it used to be you you ship it to the retailer's DC, and the retailer kind of takes care of it. Well, now you know everybody's doorstep is the you know is the moment of truth. Yeah, this mass almost mass customization or mass personalization, you know, or really finding a niche is pretty interesting because I think the bar from a a marketer becomes much higher. It, the conversation's a little bit more intimate, probing into what they really want out of a product or a service. Mm. Not a quick hit thing. You're really trying to nurture a niche consumer to to have strong loyalty. And the mass marketed product almost comes off as inauthentic. It appeals to everyone, but what you're saying is it really appeals to no one when they do that. that that's an interesting notion now. And I think a big challenge for people to figure out, okay, where do they... Where does something play in the marketplace? That that's right. It it becomes it becomes very difficult for a company that becomes very difficult for a company that is trying to um, associate itself with consumption, you know, and, and trying to generate sales and buzz. That you've you've got to be on target for a for a smaller uh, for a smaller cluster, and 
what I would say is the way that this seems to be achieved today is not by the old means of sort of sitting down and maybe a you know, kind of a focus group and figuring out, okay, what do they like and dislike? It's leveraging digital and it becomes algorithmic in that sense, in that today you're able to, the data is certainly available. I don't think it has been capitalized on yet, but the, the, the uh, chess pieces are, are being arranged. In effect, to measure individual consumers, where they are, who they are, uh, and what they're buying, and to connect that to their social profiles, and therefore to be able to target messaging to them in such a way that it may not be that you're creating a different product, different candy bar, or different soda for every person or every niche group kind of thing. Um, though there's, you know, certainly there's certainly niche products out there, but in effect, you might have the same product, but the marketing of it, the positioning of it, and ultimately maybe even the packaging of it to that consumer has been algorithmically determined um, that because of things like, you know, your, your, your mobile phone being uh, geotagged and beacons uh, in the ceilings and you know, QR codes that you can scan, um, today, the capacity to be much more directed toward an individual or a group of consumers, you know, based upon their demographic characteristics or their behavioral characteristics, even I don't know, attitudinal characteristics that you discern based on, you know, their clicking behavior or whatever. Um, all of a sudden now you can, you can start to target them with very particular messages. And that starts to make marketing much more programmed or what do they call it, programmatic marketing today. So it may not be that it's, you know, that, that you've got to use the old methods of, you know, whereas in the past you might've taken, you know, six months or 12 months to launch a new brand because you had to, you know, figure it out and, I don't know, test it and test groups, and studies that you know, determine what your, um, you know, what, what would happen when you, uh, when you launched it. Today, I think maybe um, you just rely on the wisdom of the, um, of the algorithm and the artificial intelligence that that can create for you, you know, to be able to say, hmm, that's interesting. You know, more and more people are doing X, Y, Z, you know, or, or you know, 100,000 people tonight are going to a soccer game somewhere in, you know, in Europe. Maybe we ought to hit all of them all at once, you know, with this message. It's a, it's a bit of a, an opportunity to go after this phenomenon of, uh, of fragmentation. Yeah, it really is. Because I was listening to, I think it may be another podcast, it, the topic came up about, seems to be a suspicion that these digital assistants in people's homes are listening to their conversations and marketing to them. This marketer was saying that's not happening, but the algorithms that are going on behind the scenes definitely might make it look like they're not listening to you, but yeah. they're looking at everything else you're doing and they're anticipating purchasing. Coincidentally, it looks like they're listening to you because you may be having a conversation in your house about something that the algorithms have already anticipated. And so yeah, some people, are, so some people are getting paranoid about this, but it, it's, but it's, and it's not being done by the listening. It's being done by the algorithms that they're seeing out in the, in the marketplace and saying, Hey, if this applies to this person, it applies to all these people. And, and so they're guessing that you might be thinking about traveling to Cancun just based on, <laughs> uh, no, you know, it's not that they're listening to you, but they're figuring it out algorithmic standpoint that that's something that might be on the horizon. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And I think that the ability for, you know, because you've got, you know, million, hundreds of millions of people here, you know, um, logging in or, or uh, you know, being online and, and therefore being traceable, you know, um, it, you know, as soon as you start now tracking that with actual purchase behavior, which you can do through digital payment methods, uh, now all of a sudden I start to understand uh, not only, you know, how to market you, but, but what works. Yeah. You know, yeah. I start to be able to say, geez, you know, when it, you know, when we do X, Y, Z over here, it generates this kind of a lift. Um, and again, it, it's important to remember, this is less about individuals sitting down at a computer and saying, hmm, look at this trend. That's interesting. Uh, maybe we should, you know, direct more marketing to, uh, you know, Hispanics at four o'clock, uh, you know, on a Tuesday. It isn't any, it's not going to be any person who's going to do this. Um, it's going to be the algorithms. Um, so in effect, what becomes more important in this environment is who owns the algorithm? Who, because they have to be built, obviously, you know, and who, who designs them? Who owns them? How are they applied? How smart um, will, will they be? Because once you put the thing in motion, 
you know, it's largely going to market as it sees fit and then get smarter. You know, it, it, it'll naturally become more intelligent as it sees what works. Ultimately deciding, you know, the parameters of the algorithm, you know, what, how wide of a net is it going to cap? What behaviors is it going to look for or look at? What are the, what are the parameters? I think that's going to become more important here. And, you know, trading on the capacity trading on the capacity to target these consumers, that's going to be important. And the ability to, to, to capture behavior, I think that's going to become a new sign, a new opportunity here for, uh, um, for consumer goods companies and, and for those who, who, who work with them. That's the new currency, in effect. I think when the internet started coming out, there was this promise that, yeah, there's going to be these banner ads but it, or c- communications to you. But as it gets smarter, it's going to be more targeted. So you're going to find them less annoying because they're going to be much more of your interests. And I think yes. that's actually happening. But then there's the, the darker side to that is that it gets a little creepy, right? <laughs> it's like they're very good. Now they're getting very good at targeting those ads. And, and it's, it's like, wait a minute. What, why are they? Wow. How did they know that? And it's, you know, you're not getting bombarded with uh, diaper ads if you don't have little kids in the house. At the same time, some of it's like very targeted to maybe a ketogenic diet that you're on that you didn't think a lot of people knew about. Yeah, it's really true. And, you know, it's a good point that you make, though, about the, about the creepiness piece of it. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, in my experience, you know, I'm, gosh, now uh, 48. In my experience, that issue of, it's really an issue of privacy. That issue of privacy, Mike, I think is less of a concern for people under 40. I totally agree with you. It's something that we, we're concerned about, and certainly those who are older than us are, you know, are, are very concerned about. My father, he's 90 now, um, he never got an ATM card. You know, he said, eh, I don't know, I don't like you know, going up to that machine there, typing in my number, those numbers there, and I want to go up to the, to the teller. You, know? so you could just imagine how he would feel about you know, if, if he were being, you know, getting targeted ads. That would really freak him out. For folks who are younger, they've really grown up in an environment where they have traded their privacy in for more personalization. Yeah, and totally that's it. It's a natural trade for them. They they aren't freaked out by the fact that they're you know the mobile phone um, will uh, you know when you when they're when they're typing something it'll it'll auto correct them, and it gets smarter about you know then. You know, if you're typing in text, you know, it, it'll almost be smarter about knowing the next word you probably would have typed in. They're not yeah. freaked out about that. They feel enabled by that, um, empowered. By that. Yeah. Someone was at a conference once and said, here's the difference. Uh, you know, people our age, if you're going down a grocery aisle and let's say you're on the cereal aisle and all of a sudden you get a text for a coupon for a cereal that you normally buy. A lot of people our age would find that a little disturbing, <laughs> like that's a little creepy or, and very disruptive, kind of saying, wow, someone's opposite. They, you know, if you ask a young person, they're, they're like, that's not disruptive. I, I'm fine with that, that, they're, that they know I'm there and that they're offering me something. I like that idea. What I find disruptive is having to go to the store in the first place, you know, <laughs> you know, like that's, they're like, I want, you know, I just want, I don't even want to do that experience you just talked about. And it's, but you're right. I, I think, uh, I don't hear my kids or people their age ever saying that anything creepy about people knowing more about them. I, no. I notice it and it kind of, I, I have a pause, but I totally agree with you. I don't think people, younger people care at all. I think they see a trade-off on the, like that they're already in that stream. They're like, no, this is, you know, I'm taking, if, if I'm taking a photo of a meal I'm taking and it's somehow that gets used in some way, I'm fine with that. And it's just That's like, right. Okay. It's a very difficult thing for folks who are older to, to understand, but you know, a lot of the changes that we're seeing in, uh, in stores today in terms of, you know, cutting edge merchandising or merchandising that appeals oftentimes to, to, to folks who are younger or in, or in cities. It's no surprise that these uh, Amazon Go stores, for example, you know, are, are primarily appealing to folks in, in cities. Yeah. Um, and and reality, the reality is, is what they're, what they're, what they're finding in these, in these stores is that the ability to engage a shopper with more precision to help them find what they're looking for more quickly through wayfinding types of uh, devices to, you know, um, walk by a, a display. And in some cases through technology today, have it even recognized that 
person that's walking by is a man or a woman or yeah. younger or older. And then to communicate the messaging to that person, um, you know, um, a little, in a little bit more customized way uh, is actually welcomed uh, by them. They're, um, you know, scanning a, a, a QR code uh, on, a, on, a, on a package um, and having that because of geolocation, the owner of the of the, the code, the owner of the packaging, be able to send a message to them that is cognizant of the fact that it's been scanned, uh, you know, uh, in Fargo, North Dakota versus scanned in, you know, uh, Miami, Florida, and therefore be able to message to them differently. I think we're really just at the beginning stages of people taking, of, of taking what today is, you know, and tangible and making it dynamic for people through the digitization of packaging, the digitization of product, the digitization of, you know, I don't know, an end cap or, or uh, you know, something that you walk by in retail um, or at a sporting event or anything like that and having it, you know, be aware of them and know them and empower them and give them inf information. And ultimately that is what satisfies the need of a person to feel as if, you know, they're being spoken to uh, singularly versus being part of some, some mass that, that, that they're resisting. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Somebody wants to tell me, nobody, in, nobody who's a millennial wants to be identified as a millennial. Yeah, that, that is strange. Isn't it? And, and that whole millennial conversation is, uh, it's an interesting thing to watch online or hear because uh, it, it, that, they, that generation has tended to get trashed with, you know, with stereotypical blanket statements yeah. that I don't think are true. And then there are people that are squarely in that demographic group from an age standpoint that will balk at that saying, don't call me, <laughs> don't call me that. And it's just like, well, it's just, yeah, it's like not being called a baby boomer, but it, there has been a lot of, this is my perspective on that is that I think millennials get a bad rap. They get in a lot of ways that maybe they don't want to buy a house. They don't want to buy, maybe not buying a car. They're using Uber more. And, 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 and somehow, older marketers are kind of saying, Hey, these people aren't that consumer friendly, <laughs> you know, that, that they they kind of balk at these things. I think the flip side of that is I think they're not falling for this mass marketed right. story, right? Like the, I think they are challenging the spend of a house and saying, Hey, you know what, let's run the numbers on this because it may not be a good investment for me. Maybe a four year private college isn't the best thing for me. Yes. And maybe having a car in New York city is not a good spend, you know? And, and <laughs> You know, I, so some of it's like coming from a, not a, a place of being difficult, but just bucking the system, but really looking at data or looking at things a little bit more informational based. Yeah, and, and I think, making, I think making that's true. I mean, we got marketed the food pyramid, you know, and you kind of look at it and go, that, that was, and that, and every adolescence had to have their tonsils out. And it, it, like some of this stuff was wrong, you know, like conventional wisdom, there was a lot of flaws to it. And that's I right. think. I think they're coming in with a, oh yeah, who says we should have to buy a house when we, as soon as we get married? And, and, and so I don't, that's my position on the on millennials. I don't, I don't think they are more educated and mm -hmm. uh, more skeptical and less, less likely, to your point, of just going along with the herd. I think they're- yeah. they're, Well, they're know, more enabled too. You know, they have data in front of them. Um, they have information in front of them all at the click of a button. And they have that information oftentimes curated for them and yeah. customized to them. Um, you know, everybody walks around with a Fitbit, you know, or some other device that tells them, you know, what their heart rate is, what their, you know, we're, we are not far from, I think, over the next several years, having uh, products be made for particular, you know, um, types, you know, or having people yeah. be the, the capacity to order uh, I certainly think we're going to get there within our lifetimes on pharmaceuticals. I mean, I think we're going to look back and say, my gosh, remember we, when, when everybody took the same oh, cholesterol yeah. pill or the same, you know, uh, uh, you know, pill to, uh, uh, to relieve anxiety or depression or something like that, you know, and we're going to roll our eyes at that, you know, because yeah. of the, I, I see this as part of a, just a bigger trend toward, you know, you know, the place you see it the most is, um, in my view, is with these so-called rising or challenger brands out there, um, these smaller brands that have entered into uh, um, formerly uh, you know, categories that had been dominated by by large manufacturers and, um, and, and and private label, and and now coming in and offering you know real disruption and changing a lot of the assumptions uh, of that um, 
of that market or of that category. And again, the number of these uh, smaller brands that are out there. I was at uh, I was at the Natural Products Expo East in Baltimore um, uh, a few weeks ago, representing Westrock. And uh, my gosh, just the just the number of booths. It, I, there was no way I could have possibly. I mean, it felt like football fields worth of, of of booths with all of these smaller challenger natural, uh, you know, other types of niche kinds of brands. And it really reflects. It really reflects the idea that you know this this consumer is uh, is uh, is saying, hey, you know, I I want something that's very specific, and you know, to your point, I I want the information on it. I I'm not just going to trust what's what's said broadly about something. I I want to take a look at it myself, and I want to scan it, and I want to look at those ingredients, and you know, uh, I've got an app that maybe will tell me if the product was you know sourced uh, country I, I don't agree with, or be informed. Um, you know, armed almost consumer today is uh, is another big big change um, that you see out there, and it's you know it's transforming things that uh, that used to be uh, known. You know, when when you and I were, were growing up, Mike, you know, w- something that was luxury was shiny. You know, it was shiny and bright, and it was you know blinged and all the rest of it. Today, a lot of times, what is considered luxurious. Um, uh, might actually be a bit more plain. Yeah. You know, it might be, uh, it's certainly it's sustainable and recyclable and all that, you know, but uh, it's a little bit more uh, reserved. Um, it isn't, you know, and we see that in, in, in with packaging uh, oftentimes. Today, people will pay more for packaging that is, you know, 100% compostable or something like that versus in the past, they wanted packaging that was glitter and, and gloss and, and all that. And so, we're seeing these these shifts out there that you know are changing the very definition of of, of what you know was what 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 was what would be considered to be uh, a norm in the past. I'll give you one more that that I look at a lot is you know what's considered health and wellness. Health and wellness used to be reasonably clear cut. You had a health and wellness section maybe in your store or the stuff when when you got sick you you know you, you took that stuff and it made you feel better or, or took your made your cold symptoms diminished. My gosh, today, uh, health and wellness seems to cover everything from CBD oil, red wine, yoga retreats, anything that's natural. So, you know, away from chemicals, um, you know, it used to be bleach was, was a good thing, you know, because it, it disinfected. You know, and now, well, people are really questioning, oh, it's kind of a bad, harsh chemical type of thing, or fluoride. My gosh, fluoride used to be a good thing. Well, today, a lot of the fluoride, uh, flu- oh, the, the, uh, the the oral care products advertise that they have no fluoride in them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and we're in a very, very different place as a result where I think for me, the net of it is, is we've really got to question all of our assumptions. We got to check those assumptions oftentimes before we enter into, you know, trying to, trying to market to the consumer. You know, what is it really that she can, she or he considers to be health and wellness? So, you know, are we really sustainable by her standards? <laughs> Um, yeah. How truly convenient is this? You know, and just being being a little bit more transparent, but also authentic. Um, I, I think I think that's where we're at, and that's what makes it harder. You know, um, this is it's it's more difficult today. I think to to uh, to to engage the consumer. I think oh, you're so right. And health and wellness is a is a big area. You're right, and people are trying to just improve. In little areas, one area, I was at a conference just recently and it was a company that tracks menus. And so they're, they really track like what's going to be big in the next couple of years from a food standpoint, because innovative menus become, um, you know, you and I had a friend who used to work at Ragu 50 years ago. And there was a time, this is before our time, that pasta sauce and spaghetti was considered a very ethnic food. Yes. And they had, uh, you know, where, where I live in the Northeast, they had Wednesday's Prince Spaghetti Day. Yes, and they had an, that's right. A, an Italian family. And the whole idea was <laughs> then spaghetti was as foreign as maybe tofu or yeah. what tofu was. And their whole idea was we're going to mass market spaghetti and put it into the weekly menu but pasta sauce and spaghetti was, it was like kimchi. It was like kimchi or something. You know, it was like really considered out of the norm of the American diet and they've worked on it. Now it is. And I think, but that's just an example where we've come from, but that doesn't fly anymore. I think people yeah. are looking at almost everything. They're questioning everything. And it's kind of what the, what the millennials are doing. They're saying, wait a minute, 
what are you doing? <laughs> you know, right. You know, and the whole, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe everything shouldn't come with a straw, you know, so it, it is, it is interesting how uh, that's being challenged. One of the major trends that that menu place said was that uh, they're predicting that people will get a regular DNA test. That's, you know, mm. was thousands of dollars just a couple of years ago. It's $8 now, and it's going to be almost free soon. And what it will tell you, Leon, is there are foods that you're allergic to. And then there's foods that you're not allergic to, but your body just doesn't like from, mm. from whatever, where your heritage is and your ancestors and, and different things. There are foods you probably should avoid. And then there's other foods. And some of it's strange. Like some, it might be for you, it might be tomatoes. And then for another person, it could be um, avocados, but it would be reversed maybe for another person where they should mm. heavy up on them. And the idea is that uh, you're going to feel naturally better if you avoid some foods and heavy up on others, because it's a chemical process at the end of the day. And the idea, and this, this person was saying that it's not, it's going to, it won't be long till you go to a restaurant and give them a card and none of the things that are high. So this isn't even an allergy list thing. It's more of a DNA thing yes. that you're just not going to eat things that aren't uh, compatible with your DNA, which is right. mind blowing. And, and and how you do that, now? If I'm a restaurant, how do I do menu planning in that? <laughs> right. Well, he I was saying that, that he was saying the early restaurants will cater to that. Right. The yeah. first restaurants that explore this idea will have like almost no menu, and then what you'll do is you'll like put your card into a digital device, and it will it'll come up with menus on the fly for you. Yeah. But what was interesting is one of the companies that does this testing is is locking in with food delivery services mm. so that you go up so then the food delivery would know what your preferences are so it's already starting kind of digitally online i think it's going to be a challenge for the average restaurant but online in that that becomes an interesting element because all of a sudden now you've got a it's not a closed network but it's a closing network where someone's setting up like your dietary needs and then they're combining maybe with your digital assistant your fitbit and also your online shopping and also now you've got a closed food network that if you're if you're a brand how do you get into that right That's because right. Th now that now that person is kind of off the grid and they've got this uh food thing going on and they're not going similar to maybe uh, uh how, how people are buying on amazon and, and auto replenishing and things like that but it was all around very specific needs around food. And I mean, that seems foreign, but he, the, the timing on this, they said, well, you know, it's not going to be too far away because. No, and, and, and I think, I think it, it, it may start in food, um, but I think it therefore extends itself, you know, pretty quickly to, to other areas as well. You know, there are certain, you know, household chemicals that you, you know, that your, your body reacts you know, your body reacts uh, um, in, in this particular way too. Uh, certain uh, uh, products or dyes in uh, OTC uh, types of types of items. Uh, apparel, uh, certain certain apparel gives you, you know, I don't know, a bad skin reaction type of stuff. Right. And and that sort of customization, therefore, is going to be assumed. I yeah. think. Um, and and I think that, in effect, therefore, it means that. You know, what's the people say? What's the role of a retailer? Well, a retailer's job certainly is to is to curate um, and is certainly to to, to aggregate appropriately. Um, just now, for much smaller uh, groups of uh, groups of people that, that people identify with, but also the 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 job of the retailer, I think, then gets back in some ways to to foundations around you know engaging the shopper. Um, you know, particularly brick and mortar. Um, you know, how do I engage that shopper where she is? Um, how do I you know her interests around things but but again that the interface has to be digital because that's the only way you customize it is right at yeah. scale at yeah. scale yeah it doesn't make sense if it's not digital right it, it, yeah it's, and it's so almost impossible to do yeah so i would say then if someone were to say to me you know hey what's what what if you what is you know, what do crystal ball what does merchandising look like in 50 years i said well you know i don't know the specifics and you know nobody really does, but I do know what I what I do know is that the arc bends digital, um, yeah. and that the digital interface for for things um, is going to be uh, is going to be assumed, you know. And we're we're 
we're really just, I think, at the beginning of that, um, such that people will get, you know, customized menus and customized clothing and customized, uh, you know, whatnot. Uh, how that gets achieved from a production perspective, I think, is what's going to be interesting. Because to your point, manufacturers are going to have to be plugged into these networks mm-hmm. to understand and be able to shift reasonably rapidly that, hey, there are eight big clusters of, uh, if I make, I don't know, you, you mentioned about uh, pasta sauce. If I make pasta sauce, there are really eight clusters of shoppers, some who are, you know, don't like this chemical, some who are averse to sodium, some who are averse to you know, all these different ingredients, and they're going to have to cluster these and have basically, you know, eight varieties, we'll say, or 10 or whatever. Um, wh- what are the, you know, what are the, um, what are the clusters of consumers who are out there that enable us to produce customized clusters of products uh, and do that with, you know, reasonable rapidity um, and to be able to shift, you know, so that, you know, well, there's there seems to be a, a big increase in people now who are uh, averse to, to to sugar and, and you know, that gets pulled out, replaced with something else, and and gets brought to market um, more quickly, so that you get included, because yeah. the, the the risk of of this sort of a world is not being on the consumers, not not getting included in enough consumers, uh, curated, algorithmatized. Uh, uh, shopping list. Yeah, that's. You know? I think that's happening fast. I, I take a look at it when you you knew you talk about health and wellness, and the company. You know, Tim Cook says that Apple future is as a healthcare company, and everyone kind of scratches their head. But they're partnering with insurance companies on the watch, saying they've they bought us they bought a sleep science company like a year ago, and they haven't added that to the app yet because, it, you know, when they bring it out, it's going to be huge, you know? Mm. And, and so they're talking about like sleep aid, but also tying it into insurance companies to kind of say, okay, because insurance companies really want to have people eat healthier. You know, it, it just, if people live longer, insurance companies make more money on life insurance. So they will do a lot to make people live longer, you know, because it's, it's just in their best interest from a money standpoint. So they're, they're tying, like they're thinking of, there's a couple of insurance companies that have talked about just giving those watches away with the idea that a certain percentage of those people will start adopting some of the things that the Apple watch will start recommending. And then all of a sudden those insurance companies will bring in networks of, healthier foods, maybe discounts to gyms, even, you know, maybe Lululemon implies that someone's maybe taking yoga or exercising more. So, you know, you're right. It becomes this very interesting and it, and like who would think insurance would ever get involved with food. Right. But as you start to build these digital uh, networks, uh, some strange players come in. Yeah. And, and some strange relationships, you know, you, it starts becoming, you know, who, you be, you begin trading on access to a particular network. You know, you've got a corner on this particular cluster of shoppers. You know, um, you know how much will you pay to, you know, to get to get access to them? Um, yeah. And so th- this becomes a, a world of net world of much greater complexity um, that you know boggles the mind in terms of. Um, you know, the kind of just the data alone that will be produced um, by, you know, all of these um, triggers and sensors out there that will identify things. Um, and then the key is going to be, you know, A, can you adapt to it quickly enough and, and respond to it quickly enough? Um, that's going to be important. So your ability to, to sense, um, but then the ability to respond, I think. Yeah. If you can't respond more quickly, um, that's going to be difficult. And so, you know, legacy systems and legacy cultures, I think, um, that are, you know, used to taking, you know, 18 months to, you know, launch a new brand or something like that. I don't see that, sur- I don't see that, those notions surviving, you know, the next few decades. Right. Well, you can kind of see it now where there's companies out there that weren't in a business. I, I guess Uber's use a lot, but um, like Airbnb owns no real estate, yeah. That, you know, and their whole model 
So they haven't built a building and their whole model is digitally based. And it's yes. just, and it's getting smarter and smarter and smarter as to what people want. Uber doesn't own any cars. There's these models that are just based on the data and the algorithms. They don't even have, you could see a food company emerging that doesn't have farmers growing food for them. You know, right. that I think a good example in food is uh, Soylent. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the product mm, no. out of Silicon Valley, I don't think that's any product that a traditional CPG company would have come up with, right? The name is kind of strange. And then the notion that you're just going to make this uh, shake that has all the nutritional elements of food and you're going to sell it and it's going to have, and they've actually launched that like a software. They've got version one, two, three, and they're getting huge feedback from the people using the product because it's all digital based. And you know, things like that are going to become very interesting in the future as to who emerges, because it, it, you're right, there are going to be legacy companies that invested or vertically invested in certain things like wheat and sugar and, mm. and corn syrup. And the model might be, no, you're going to have to be, you're going to have to know this algorithm and know this network of people. That's going to be the commodity you're going to want to get into. That's right. And you'll yeah. figure out how to get the need to them, but you're not going to have to own a uh, hundred thousand acres of, of wheat. It's not going to no, be, that's right. that, that won't be the relevant thing anymore. So it's, it just, <laughs> yeah. just like owning the owning hotels is not relevant for Airbnb. So oh, that's right. Yeah. It, it, everything become many more things become uh, services and understanding which, you know, which networks ultimately you're, you're plugged into um, and which consumers you're ultimately plugged into and lifestyles and, and whatnot. I just think that's going to require an awful lot more agility to get, uh, you know, to, to, to get legacy companies and distribution systems to work more effectively um, in this environment. I don't see this as a bolt-on to existing capabilities. Um, I think in many cases, there's going to need to be some re-engineering out there um, and some rethinking around, you know, how companies are, are, are organized, how companies go to market. Um, how they uh, they establish themselves as uh, establish teams, the kinds of skills you know that people are going to need uh, is less to your point, less about vertical, you know, deep vertical experience and expertise in something, and more about the capacity to you know to to wear different hats. Yeah, um, and to address a consumer need, right? Yeah, um, like uh, Lululemon, you know, they're trying to cater to their consumers, and they're looking at clothes that maybe. The idea is that you would work out in their clothes and not have to change or shower the rest of the day. <laughs> so they're looking at clothes that you can do that in, that for certain, you know, can absorb odor, that can make people feel comfortable wearing that the rest of the day and not being self-conscious about it, but also makeup that remains on after you put it on and, and remains, you know, so they're looking at the whole experience saying, okay, and that's just a convenience thing. Instead of having to go home and change, having someone being able to go out all day without having to go home and change. Uh, it's your point about the convenience. Like, I don't have time for that. And they'll cater to that convenience. And you might pay a, a lot of money for that or That's not. Right. But the idea is that, hey, you don't have to change after wearing this and you don't have to be self-conscious about it. So those are the type of things that become very interesting uh, as far as changing consumer trends. And you're right. It's going to be hard for some companies that just, you know, make boxes of stuff to adjust to this. I mean, we've seen it, we've seen it already. Uh, you know, the car industry is looking at this going, you know, there's some people that think that the car industry may be more of a utility industry in the future, that you pay mm -hmm. a certain amount for car access. And then the cars are you know, like, and it's kind of an Uber type system, but the car is already always there when you need it. Mm -hmm. But it, you're not, you may have a driver maybe driving itself or you might be driving it, but you don't have a car. You have a car, you have a, a utility service that provides you transportation, whatever that is. Mm. That changes everything, right? That, that's, you know, as far as uh, like just the car, you're like when you think about parking, designs of home, like if you don't, if you don't have a car, there's a lot of stuff you don't need in a house, right? And, and oh, you, you, yeah. don't, you, you don't need a garage. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? So it, it changes, it changes quite, a, you know, so some of these things have cascading effects. And yes. uh, it is interesting. Um, even, even things like Harry's, you know, or Dollar Shave Club and what the penetration they've been able to make in that market in a very quick period of time, just exploiting some kind of issues or friction in that industry. It's, mm. it's, it's well, it, it, gets, it gets back to the, the, their, these kinds of companies' ability to, 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 to look at a, uh, an industry or a category um, really through a new 
lens um, and ultimately say, you know, we're, we're not just going to try to build a better, you know, mousetrap or we're not just going to try to, you know, build a, a better buggy whip or, a, you know, a, you know, try to get, you know, one more ounce of efficiency out of something. We're going to try to, in effect, um, you know, reimagine that model, flank the model um, to some extent. And, and, you know, with a shopper today who is open to those kinds of things um, and with digital technology empowering them and algorithms uh, giving them a lot of times, you know, the you know, new information that they might not have seen before and, and computing power being able to, you know, help to identify those things. You know, the, the, the patterns that can be seen today to identify uh, you know, open market opportunities, um, I think mean that, you know, back in, you know, it was back in the sixties, it was, uh, you know, you know, Walmart came along, of course, Kmart and Target did too, but, but, you know, Walmart came along and realized, you know, that there's a lot of inefficiency in the distribution of goods and services to consumers today. and built, basically built an empire, you know, company in the world today, an empire ultimately built around the efficient distribution of goods, ultimately. Um, they changed the paradigm. Uh, a lot of things that had just been taken for granted in in retail, and and I think that today you see companies like Amazon doing that. You know, Amazon has called itself uh, in its uh, public uh, writings. It's called itself a disruptor. Um, and I think that those today who who would say, "Well, my industry can't be disrupted," or "I'm disruption proof," or "recession proof," or anything like that, those are the ones I would be concerned about. Yeah. Right. Um, those, are, because those are the ones that are most vulnerable to this. The most vulnerable to having someone come in and completely upend, um, you know, what was considered to be, you know, just kind of, just kind of obvious, you know. Um, and you wonder, you wonder, you look at industries today that people say, "Well, listen, that's just the way it is." Like I don't know, the airline industry, for example. You know, well, you got no choice. You got to go to the airport. You got to get your boarding pass and you know, you got to wait in line and go on the jet bridge and, you know, uh, you know, all this sort of stuff. You wonder, you know, here, these industry people say, that's just the way it is, you know, um, how much longer they're, you know, they're, they're really going to last without a major, uh, a major disruption coming in. You look at what shale has done to the oil industry. If I had oh, said to you yeah. 30 years ago, America would be the, you know, one of, depending on how you do the measurements for you know, one of the largest oil producers in the world, you know, you would have, you know, you would have, you know, asked me to, you know, keep it moving. Right. And the reality is today, you know, that's the kind of situation that you're, you know, that, 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 that you're in America is a, is a net oil exporter. Yeah. Um, and, and so you're, you're in a world there. That's just that that's crazy. And it's the rapidity with which it, with which it happens, I think. Um, so it's a, it's a it's sort of a warning flag to the companies or to um, brands who maybe feel as if they're on autopilot or they're in an annuity type of situation. You know, uh, everybody will always buy ketchup or mustard, yeah. or you know, everybody will always eat breakfast. <laughs> you know, or I don't know, whatever, whatever you might you know come out and and say um, to say you know, well, we can kind of set it and forget it because uh, we're we're all set now. Everybody will always eat salad. With their dinner, uh, anything that is taken for granted like that, I would flag, <laughs> um, because we're not in a taken for granted world right now. We're no. we're in a world where you know everything is being. I mean, look at what's happened to the music industry, Mike. I mean, you know, it used to be that you know you, you sold an album. <laughs> yeah. Now you don't you don't do that at all. You know, selling an album, the capacity here for swift change. I think is, uh, is I think we're really just at the beginning of uh, industry disruption over this century. Um, it's kind of like a you know the, the next industrial revolution is you know uh, is this kind of we'll call it digitally enabled customization. I think we're just scratched the surface. Every we've talked about everything here, Mike, from healthcare to automotive to. It's going to be back- interesting, though. I agree with you. It's going to be fun because I think the barriers to entry for people. It, at least in maybe traditional consumer products, if we could pick on that for a second, the barriers to entry to that were huge from a yeah. one, from a scale in production to, to distribution. It, it was, you just, and you went to that show and you saw all these, what we would consider mom and pop type businesses. Mm-hmm. 
but that's what Soylent was. That that's what a lot of these. That's what that's what Harry's was. That's what mm. Dollar Shave Club was. Mm. That's what Airbnb was. Right? Mm. They were just like this idea with very little investment. They became very big ideas very quickly. So that that's that right. that's and the, the innovation always comes from the fringe. So it's gonna be fun to watch this. You know, why can't I have a cookie that's good tasting, good for me? And, <laughs> and uh, you know what I mean, right? And uh, um, or, or, yeah, or why does a hamburger have to be made of meat? <laughs> right. I mean, that's yeah. that is amazing. That's a topic yeah. unto itself. And have you had that at all? Have you had I, it? I I haven't tried it. Um, my my wife suggests I try it, uh, just like she suggests I try plant based milk, uh, uh, and things like that. But I, you know, I I'm a I'm, perhaps I'm a late adopter, a slow adopter. Well, I, I'll tell you, I I tried it at at a burrito place. Uh, the impossible meat and I, they were sampling it and it, it does cost more than a regular. So if you get a burrito with this, it costs probably $2 more than like the chicken burrito. And I tried it, Leon, and uh, there is no way. And I'm, I'm not uh, by any means a vegetarian. I like meat. It, there's no way you could tell that's not meat. <laughs> they have banged that out of the park. That's yeah. going to be very, now, yeah, a question remains like, okay, uh, is that towards vegans? Because vegans, I think, are opposed to the idea of eating meat also. So, you know, some people say, hey, it's going to be a healthier and you do have mm -hmm. to look at all these. So there's a lot of questions around the whole idea. I think from a sustainability standpoint, it makes a lot more sense because what we do now when we eat meat is we grow a crop, all the resources to grow a crop and water and everything. And we take that food that we could eat and then we give it to an animal to eat. And then we eat that animal that that is not a sustainable thing for the world to, to do over and over and over again everywhere. So for that standpoint, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But I'll tell you, from a quality standpoint, mm. there is no way you could tell that wasn't me. <laughs> there's just no way. I like. Yeah, I mean, that's why you, you know, you I always uh, I'm, I, I always have a flag go up for myself. My radar goes up when someone says, oh, that'll never change or oh, that's that's just the you know, come on. It, um, I always feel that way when I'm at an airport waiting in a line, you know, with a 100 other people. And somebody says, oh, this flight's delayed, you know, and and I'll kind of shake my head and someone says, oh, listen, that's just the way it is. You can't uh, you know, you can't complain. I always think to myself, ah, I don't know, man. <laughs> these uh, these these models, you know, that have been in place for such a long time. Um, you know, you talked earlier about education. I mean, that's another one. I mean, this oh, idea yeah. of, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to school for for, for four years in many cases, and uh, and the you know the where, where I went to school now, the 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 tuition is over seventy tuition room and board is over seventy thousand um, dollars. You know, and you you. You, you look at that, and if you've got two or three kids, you do the math, it, you know, it suddenly becomes prohibitive on the face of it. And, you know, you, you start to step back and you start to see the beginnings of, you know, of, of change in, in, in that area. Um, you know, my, my, my daughter's in high school now, and uh, um, for the most part, she doesn't use textbooks, you know, no, I mean, no. she just doesn't use them. I mean, they, they have them. There's stack. I went to a parent-teacher conference, and there's stacks and stacks of you know, almost like going through the ruins of ancient Rome. Yeah, these stacks of textbooks, you know, around the classroom. And I said, you know, because I asked, you know, being the typical parent, I just said, so, uh, you know, I, I've noticed my daughter doesn't bring home a textbook. She's got plenty of homework and all that. And she, the teacher said, yeah, we don't, we use a textbook sometimes. Whereas when I was growing up, holy smoke, <laughs> you know, you had six or seven of those big books that carried on the math book, the history book, the, you know, and now it's all online. And, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of those experiences online, are a lot more dynamic and engaging than the, you know, the reading it off the reading it out of a out of a text. Um, they're they're a lot more engaging. You can double click and get more information, or get extra help, or watch a video, or you know, watch a you know, or listen to a podcast like this. But you know, all that sort of thing makes it a much more engaging experience. And then you realize, well, you know, does it necessarily then require that all these kids are going to these classes? And sitting down for 45, 50 minute classes with the chairs lined up and all that. You know, how many of these old models that we have today are really just, you know, uh, on borrowed time? I mean, we're seeing that with the mall. Surely the mall is a concept that remains there, but it's it's really on borrowed time. I think that that this it gets back to what we started with, you know, at the beginning, this idea of the consumer um, really dictating a very different reality today based upon, you know, very different uh, 
constraints. And, you know, it's almost as if she's moving faster, though, or he, the, the consumer is moving faster than the ability of services and companies and uh, retailers and brands to keep up. You said it at the beginning, the expectations of consumers now is very high. There's a comedian makes fun of this, but if you're ever on a plane when the Wi-Fi drops, <laughs> it's it's like the plane's going down. Yeah. People are just like, people are livid. It's a very funny routine because it's like you're traveling at 500 miles an hour through you're sitting in a chair and you're mad that you can't watch your favorite TV show, you know? It's like, we've gotten pretty picked all the level of service. It doesn't take much. I mean, if you lose Wi-Fi, all those people are mad. And uh, no, yeah. you know, the workers are mad and the people, you know, because they're trying to do work and the people that, uh, and that's something that really wasn't available all that long ago. <laughs> you know? And uh, it is interesting how, I, I, was, I was reading this book called Abundant. When they built the Washington Monument, they were looking for a rare metal that they could put at the top. They wanted to put something very rare at the tip. They selected aluminum. And now looking back on it, that seems like a strange pick. But back then, aluminum in its natural form was one of the rarest metals out in the, in the earth. And, and mm. through different technology changes, it's now very common. You know, we're wrapping food in it and everything. But, it, but the whole idea was that technology is making the world more abundant. And as we grow more abundant, uh, you know, our standards come more convenient. We come, it was a good and bad book, but, you know, like, mm. but the whole idea is that, you know, what was once very hard to do, like uh, sitting on a plane and selecting from 300 movies is now, <laughs> is now kind of standard. This person's actually investing, the person who wrote the book is investing in mining on meteorites. So they said, you know, and his theory is just like gold is pretty rare. He said gold's going to be in most phones someday and yeah. it's going to become, because it's, it's, prevalent in the universe and we just haven't gotten to it yet just like yeah. aluminum just like aluminum and yeah. uh it'll it's gonna be interesting to see how uh how this all goes yeah the only skill that we're, we're going to need to have i think in this uh environment is the capacity to change with the consumer the capacity to shift to be agile um and um you know to be to be comfortable changing paradigms mike i think hold on to old paradigms going to be it's going to be very difficult it's going to be very difficult to win going forward um i think the the the, the secret sauce is always going to be the capacity to um to 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 shift and respond um to sense and respond i should say um you know at the pace of the consumer so yeah and a, and a big awareness that what got you to where you are now is not going to get yeah, you definitely. further right you know that yeah the legacy the annuity businesses approach that your business is an annuity is um you're right it's you, you almost have to earn consumers every day now there isn't this brand loyalty uh i i think it's very uh very low based on yeah, yeah. The, the brand that the consumer is loyal to mike is is themselves yeah they are you know, the brand. Yeah, they are. They are the brand and they're very loyal to that brand. Um, and I think, you know, I think that's, that to me is the, you know, maybe the final lesson, <laughs> you know, um, you, you got to remember, it's not, you, you're not the brand, they are. <laughs> it's kind of a major theme in this whole hero's journey economy is that the person's the product and everything else is just supporting that product. Yes. And, and you have to become, in many cases, a sidekick or a mentor similar to Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're like you're helping them <laughs> along in the journey, just like the Apple watch will be like a sidekick to someone's goals. I'm seeing a lot more of is brands playing a support role and it gets to that. Okay. I'm going to help them with that journey. And then they're in a much, if you're, you've now become a trusted advisor in a journey, that's a much deeper relationship with the consumer than maybe just being a mass marketed brand started out at the beginning. Like it's a much more intimate, it's a one by one, but it's really tapping into what they want to be or do. And, yeah. So the product just becomes almost like a, a manifestation, but the product isn't necessarily the thing. What you're selling is a relationship. Yeah. Or, or, or an outcome, you know, or an outcome. I, yeah. I take yeah. a look at, you know, you take a look at some of the penalty, couple different at home exercises now, and they're really uh, exercise machines. This isn't for everyone. Uh, yeah. that's, that's one of them saying, Hey, you know what? This is hard. P90X actually made their success on the ability of conveying that, you know what, this is going to be the hardest thing you probably ever did. And people knew that going in kind of saying, okay, this is going to be really hard. It's not going to be this thing where I just, uh, twist my finger and I lose a lot of weight. And, and, and there's another one that shows, there's another one, I think normal people saying, Hey, if I can do it, you can do it. 
but the yeah. whole idea is that, hey, we're all in this together. We're kind of on this journey. It's showing regular people. And the idea is that, hey, it's not the product. It's you using the product. That's, yeah. that's the key. Yeah, so. and it, yeah, it gets back to experiences, you know, and, and relationships. And it's the, it's the, the ability to, to, to network, um, you know, across those things. And you, and you look at some of the most powerful brands that are out there today, like Facebook or LinkedIn. And, you know, you realize that those are really just about, you know, literally just, you know, laying network pipe in effect. Yeah. Yeah. And letting the whole thing take over. Hey, this has been, uh, Leon, this has been fascinating. It's been wide. We've certainly covered a lot of ground, Mike. <laughs> no, I, I, but I knew, I, I knew it would be, I, you know, you're, uh, I've heard you on, on the radio, on NPR and a lot of different things. So, uh, you know, it's, it's great to talk to you face to face. It's been a while. No, I appreciate uh, it. Uh, and uh, appreciate the conversation. Yeah. Hey, if people are looking for you online or your company, is there a place where they can find you if they wanted to, more information or? Sure. Well, I, I have a LinkedIn profile. Um, okay. You can just uh, go up on LinkedIn and Leon Nicholas. Okay. And uh, I work for, uh, for Westrock. Uh, I'm a vice president of retail insights and solutions uh, for Westrock to better connect uh, Westrock's uh, capabilities as a packaging and uh, as a display and a corrugated box uh, uh, company to the needs of our of consumer goods and, and, and retail companies and food service companies uh, to better connect uh, their needs to marketplace realities like some of the ones that we've been talking about. Um, so um, certainly uh, contact me or uh, get more information on Westrock on uh, westrock.com. Okay. Hey, Leon, thank you so much for doing this. This was a yeah, great thank conversation. Thank you, Mike. Great time. I appreciate uh, your uh, taking the time. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. that good that is good thank you very much yeah we covered a lot of ground there I hope, you know maybe waved around and i apologize about the phone ringing i tried i no, finally no, I'll, I'll edit that out Not i finally dial, pulled it out i you know pulled it out of the wall but um yeah i'll